Hello there, Ryan here, and I'm one of the founders of Ideas and Beers. You're going to be hearing from Cameron Steer today, who's one of the co-founders of Ideas and Beers with me, and we're going to be discussing his journey and what he's up to, as well as uh, ranging from a couple of topics from tech, entrepreneurship, and uh, and mindset. So we're going to be recording this in a bar, so there's going to be a little bit of background noise, uh, but we do like to keep it organic, and you know what, well, we like to have a couple of beers while doing it. So hope you enjoy, and have a wonderful day. Hello there, welcome to the Ideas and Beers podcast. Ryan here, I'm with uh, Cameron, one of the co-founders of Ideas and Beers. Hello there. And how the devil are you today? Well, you, everybody. Who are you talking to? Are you talking to me or the audience? I am doing great. I'm sat here in Brewstone with Ryan, I've got a beer in hand. Mm -hmm. Ching ching. Very good. Uh, I'm going to sit down and have a good old chin wag. Yeah, so... Um, the way we're going to start it out today, guys, uh, same way as last time, big question at the start, and uh, Cameron, here it comes. What is your biggest fear? Fear. To start. I'm going to pretend like I haven't prepared, <laughs> and we didn't discuss this before the podcast. Um, so my biggest fear is probably not being successful. Okay, cool. Yeah, and I, I know that sounds really, like, kind of pretentious, but... It truly like every day I like want to kind of get out there mm. and like kind of like seize the day so to speak uh, and kind of get the most out of it that I can uh, mm. and when I don't do that I think nothing bums me out more than not taking advantage of a situation mm. and not really like going for it 100%. Yeah. 100%. And I think that's why I define that as my greatest fear. And I and I join you on that one as well. Yeah, that's yeah. always been a big one for me. Definitely, is a, a fear. I always thought, you know, well, not fear. So success, yeah, not being successful has always been a big, big issue for me. And I think, um, like, obviously, I want to talk to you about this a little bit more because we were talking before the podcast for everyone who's uh, who's listening now, um, specifically about this and what people divide define as success. And you know, what it, it's a very individual concept. I think success, isn't it? Yeah, I think you, you've got to define it for yourself. Mm. But yeah, I think most of all, you've got to know when you're not achieving that, mm. when you're not getting to that space, because I think for most people, that's when they get burned out. Yeah. Or maybe like maybe you understand where you're not biting off sort of more than you can chew and just kind of getting that level of like where your happiness lies. Yeah. Okay. And yeah, we're going to definitely talk about that a little bit more later on in the podcast. Uh, first of all, just so everybody knows what's, uh, you know, what's what here. Um, just give you a little bit of an intro about yourself, Cameron. So what's the... You know, yeah, so I'll talk about what I'm doing now very briefly. So I'm an entrepreneur, it's probably the easiest way to say it. I'm a co-founder of a company called Syngro, uh, and we're based in an incubator in Newport called the Alacti Foundation. Basically, the Alacti Foundation is supporting our company until we sort of get investment. Uh, we'll go into details on that later. Before that, I was doing a PhD at Swansea University, passed that last December, uh, looking at kind of how we interact with technology. We can talk about that if you want oh, later. Yeah, uh, <laughs> and before that, did a computer science degree, um, also at Swansea. Uh, I guess that's like a whistle-stop tour of my expertise. So starting out with, if we start with the computer science, uh, yeah, yeah. what was the was the main reason you wanted to get into computer science? I think I've always been fascinated by technology, um, and it's it's a fascination that sort of runs quite deep. I think deeper than I've realized. So people have asked me this before, and I always tell this story of, so I'm dyslexic, uh, and a computer was a way of me being able to communicate um, without having to like write things down yeah. and have something like spell check support me and stuff like that. And I think that, that pulled me towards computers. 
and then once you're in that world it's so fascinating mm. it's amazing um, you can't help but be sort of drawn in and sucked in okay. and I think the reason why I ended up doing the computer science degree as well was back when I was younger I was very into video games mm. and the idea of being able to make make something make my make own video yourself. games yeah. was very appealing mm. and then when you actually get into it you realize you can make anything yeah not just video games you can make software you can make hardware mm. you can there's just so much to it yeah. it's kind of an endless possibilities in the way you can solve problems and help people do you think you were inspired at all by like the likes of like steve wozniak steve jobs uh anyone anyone in that sort of industry that, yeah. that area i think i was incredibly inspired by like sort of the pioneers so mm. yeah steve jobs bill gates all those people you Mark Zuckerberg yeah. to a certain extent you know when he like first started out because they, they built something from nothing mm. essentially with the same skills that I acquired so there's no there's no difference between the skills that Mark Zuckerberg acquired mm. in Harvard compared to like what I acquired I mean yes Harvard might be slightly better than Swansea yeah. only, only slightly <laughs> by the way well yeah, um, I don't think they've but, got a but he, he took he just took code and he turned it into something that was this huge intertwined web network of people yeah. and to be able to do that just with a computer mm. is I mean you it can't is get better fascinating. than that yeah definitely and then so, so, with, so after the computer science degree you went on from there to do the user experience wasn't it? Yeah, yeah yeah so I I stayed around and did my PhD mm. uh, and from there rather than just like kind of the pure sort of software development side of things I started looking into what I always describe as the intersection between psychology and computer science so yeah. it's understanding how people interact with technology uh, and like how we can design for the human side of it all so the stuff that Steve Jobs was actually very very good at right he understood yeah. how technology could intertwine with our daily lives mm -hmm. uh, so I studied that for sort of three and a half years including like writing up for about a year or so uh, and I focused there on, well, it depends how much detail you want to go into, but the, the kind of thing I focused on was how artists and designers mm. interact with technology, developing new physical tools yeah. for them uh, to kind of interact with colors, Photoshop, in new and innovative ways. So it's a nice, it's a nice mixture between creativity and technology then, isn't it? Or, or actually, I think it just emphasizes like that you can be creative within a technology, technological sense, you know, in, in, yeah. in a way. And I think most people think you need to be, well, have a different sort of intelligence almost. Yeah. And human-computer interaction, which is sort of the, the discipline I, I studied when I was doing my PhD, is, is certainly where that's rife. You know, there, there's lots of examples of people doing very creative things yeah. in order to kind of enhance humans' ability to use technology yeah. to achieve greatness. That's, a, that's an interesting one, actually, yeah, because <laughs> we could go on a, on a, like a proper rabbit hole, I think, with that one. Yeah, because um, um, like my, my field of study was obviously enhancing uh, a digital artist's way of expressing themselves. Yeah. But then another example would be, say, a professor in the department who was improving medical devices mm. so nurses wouldn't kill people, yeah. which is like a really important topic. Like, yeah, that's, yeah. yeah, exactly. So. <laughs> there's, there's something I come across, actually, on social media. I think it was like a couple of days ago, but I've seen it before advertised. Um, it's called Muse. It's like a, a meditation-type technology. It's like a band almost you put around your head. And I think it reads, you put headphones in with it as well, but it like reads your, your brain waves and things like that. And it kind of, it, it can tell when you're in like a really 
deep meditation and stuff like that and it's um yeah so i don't know if you've seen that have you seen that yeah no yeah i've seen that yeah yeah it's like yeah. A, it's like training wheels for like meditation but very quantified so yes it's like yeah. it's meditation for nerds <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah essentially um yeah you know i come across that because i think it's that's a really interesting concept because it's something that you know meditation's very it's required now more than ever realistically because of how busy our lives are and we don't get out as much in terms of like going into nature and things like that as much as we should be and how much we used to so i think having these meditative practices as part of our daily life is very very important and something like that is is quite interesting because like you said it's the it's almost a it's a, yeah, it's a very tech-savvy way of, of doing it, but also you can pull across pull the analytics from that and yeah. work out if it's... Uh, it's great for someone like me who like, sits and meditates, and at the end it feels like, what did I just do for 10 minutes? But if you can quantify <laughs> yeah. it yeah. and kind of break down those graphs and those stats, and I can mm. jump into my computer science brain, um, it sort of helps me tackle something that's quite woo-woo and yeah. turn it into something that's numbers. But you, you meditate quite a lot, don't you? Yeah, I try to, yeah. Mm. Did, what did you say? How many times did you say you do it? How long things like that? So, the problem—I think that the, the problem with that number is that when I'm busy, I probably should be meditating, and I'm not. Right, but when yeah. I'm not busy, I find time to meditate. And it doesn't <laughs> yeah. matter so much. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I try to do it once a day. Right. On a good week. Um, on a bad week, I end up completely neglecting it. So. Yeah. And that, you know what? I think that's that's interesting. How we we skip something which is potentially going to actually calm us down when yeah, we're yeah. in those those moments of like franticness and we're just running around trying to do 110 things. Like you can find other moments of stillness. Yeah, I think as well, or just having like a deep work moment, mm. or so you. So another thing you try to do is like moments of mindfulness. So if you're doing the dishes, mm. trying to like focus intently on doing the dishes, don't multitask. It's kind of a good way to do things as well. Hundred percent. You know, I've, I've always said that about the dishes. Like I, I it's, doing the dishes is something I hate the thought of doing, but when I actually start doing it, I love it. I mean, you know, I'm there and I'm like, you know, just I'm there for ages. Then I'll go on a bit of a mad one and just start cleaning the entire house. Yeah. But yeah, it's a very, you know, like you said, if you're doing solely that. It's like such a medit- almost, yeah, m- mindful practice mm-hmm. and it can really calm you down and ground you in that sense. And I think it's the same thing with gardening as well. Mm. I suppose I, I don't do enough of it, <laughs> admittedly, but yeah. it is used in a lot of therapeutic measures. I know that they use it with people who suffer from uh, alcoholism and things like that. It actually kind of lessens the... Um, yeah, it, it, it lessens the the mind essentially the, the uh, addictive part of the mindset you know what I mean yeah, yeah. it calms that aspect of it so they're not really thinking about going for a drink or you know anything yeah, yeah. along those lines so um, okay the other thing I wanted to ask you is um, about the foundation that you're in currently or what you're, what you're currently yeah, doing so you yeah. said you're running your own business but yeah so when I finished my PhD I signed up for this thing called Alacti mm-hmm. and it's based in Newport and it was kind of set up by uh, a man called Simon Gibson and a man called Terry Matthews, kind of they're the, the two kind of key figureheads for it. Uh, and they are sort of very famous Welsh entrepreneurs. Mm-hmm. Terry Matthews famously set up Newbridge and Mitel. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they're now fostering the new wave of mm-hmm. tech entrepreneurs. And uh, so Terry Matthews, is he, he's the richest man in Wales, I believe, isn't he? Uh, yeah, first, I think first, he was like the first billionaire. First billionaire. That's it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm. Uh, so they kind of helped set it up and they kind of opened up their sort of contact book to all of us uh, and then every year they bring on an intake of graduates so from various backgrounds uh, various as in STEM based um, 
subjects for the kind of technology side of things yeah. and then business based subjects then for the business side of things yeah. um, to then form teams that then go on to make companies and potentially get investment okay. so, and it's kind of like uh, what they describe as a pre-incubator so mm. excuse me <coughs> So, don't, don't worry, guys, he's alive. He's I am alive. <laughs> no coronavirus. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so, when the teams come in, we don't have an idea. The mm. idea is you find the idea for the business when you're in a lactate, mm. and you form the team when you're in the lactate program as well. So, it's great for somebody that's entre- entrepreneurial minded, yeah. but doesn't necessarily have a team yet yeah. or hasn't been able to meet and kind of complement their skills with other people. Uh, you form your team uh, and you start building the business and okay. Alact is there to support you along the way so it's kind of like it's kind of like a lot of other incubators yeah. so like Silicon Valley has a lot of incubators but this one's kind of different because you don't have to come in with a team often right. you do have to come in with a team yeah. so yeah. and what, what stage are you at now currently yeah so we've been we've been there since September mm-hmm. we formed a team at about October time uh, we wrestled with a few different ideas mm-hmm. over the last couple of months December time then we sort of set on kind of a space mm. and we've tried various ideas so the space is financial technology so we're kind of trying to find new ways to use technologies like open banking uh, disrupting the way that uh, maybe loans are done and stuff like that uh, and helping small businesses mm. so specifically in the small business space yeah uh, and then in December we kind of pivoted um, from kind of directly trying to sell to small businesses mm. to now selling to financial intermediaries mm. uh, and we're building out a platform called Syngro which will allow clients of independent financial services mm-hmm. to connect and share their financial information in a fast and secure way. Okay, so what, can you give me an example of somebody from uh, who, would, who would, you know, you said clients of uh, intermediary financial services, so who, who, if, think of a, like a big brand or like somebody that, yeah. you know, what, what would it be like Moneybox for example, would it be someone like that? No, it would be the case of like if you're a loan broker, so right, you help okay. small businesses find loans, yeah. but obviously how do you find out what loan they need, so mm-hmm. at the moment the process would involve sending them uh, lots of papers or even like email trails but what we do is we leverage um, sort of data uh, data pipelines in Mm. order to pull all the uh, pull all that information in automatically right. and they can fill out a dashboard in which they can do sort of their due diligence okay awesome yeah. and, what, and what stage what's the next kind of uh, yeah next so at the moment now? we're developing that product yeah uh, we're sort of talking to various people that will help us with it yeah um, yeah and just kind of full steam ahead on actually mm. building the actual business that awesome. could get investments for that so kind of going through that mid-stage mm. of the alacrity model and that's uh, it's called Syngro guys as well so they're on all social media mm. uh, you are on Instagram as well it's at Syngro at Syngro UK UK there we are yeah. cool awesome uh, going back to um, the start where you asked I asked you about yeah, success uh, success and failure okay mm-hmm. so you said about your biggest fear is not being successful and we talked yeah. about success you know, very briefly about success being very individual and um you know up to up to someone's own perception or um you know realistically so for yeah, example yeah. to your you know to some people being successful is just having a family you know it's just uh you know getting by and actually having enough money to to, to you know pay for them to go to college or, or to university and things like that but then other people, you know, they they want a Ferrari, or they want a, you know the big house, they want the holidays and things like that. So success is is very individual in that sense, but it's also something which is kind of pushed on us, like the idea of success from 
social media in particular, yeah. but media in general. So like different, I don't know, magazines and things like that. Um, and I and I think, what what's, what are your thoughts on that? So like, what you know, for you personally, what would be your vision of success? Well, how would you know when you're successful? Um, I think you you set yourself look small goals. Mm. I think, or like I say, small goals. Like to some people, it depends on the size, doesn't it? But I think you set yourself goals, small and big. And I think it's it's setting yourself goals that you know you want to achieve, um, and kind of working towards those and being able to be when you get to that point, knowing internally that that is what you wanted. Yeah. Because yeah. sometimes you'll know straight away if you're chasing something you That's don't really want. You, you, somebody else is pushing that onto you. Yeah. You know? and it comes back to that Steve Jobs quote, which is, um, what does he say? It's, uh, don't, yeah, don't get trapped by dogma, um, which is living with the results of other people's thinking. You know, I think he says that in yeah. his Stanford commencement speech, and it's very, very relevant because it's, yeah. You know, so many people get caught, caught, caught up doing things like you've just said there that other people may or might expect of them, or things that yeah, like for example, the stuff their parents might have said yeah. you know might be good for them to pursue. It might be you know get them you know well-paid job or things like that. But it doesn't mean that they're going to be happy. It doesn't mean they're going to be fulfilled. And I think like you said, you need to, you you really need to chase those things which are you, you know you're passionate about ego. Yeah, I think so. Like. And this probably relates to entrepreneurship a bit. Is you've got to be willing sometimes to make that sacrifice, mm. um, and not just kind of go for the kind of the shiny things. Mm. There's that like shiny object syndrome in which sense you're not willing to kind of dial your lifestyle back to achieve something that you truly want. Yeah. Versus just kind of chasing something that you've been told you want. That's, that's yeah. That's a, that's a good point. Like I think. Really, I suppose there's a lot of people who get like the you know, fancy car or the big house, and they'll they'll openly say that they're still miserable because they lack some of the humanistic things mm. that like you know, just connection for one. Do you know what I mean having yeah. a you know a community of people around them who actually care for them, and they're not just trying to put their hands in their pockets, or they're not just trying to you know jump on their fame. For example, if it's someone who's quite famous, you know, it's that and that happens quite a lot, and I think. You know, the, I, I also think you know, with for example, actors and people like that, where why they, you know, some, sometimes their uh, their mindset or their mental mental uh, mental health degrades in some respect, you know, because yeah. they're actually so they're on top of the world, but at yeah. the same time they're so disconnected. They're not. They they've got a lack of community around them, yeah. a lot of a lack of people essentially, which they can rely on. Yeah. And I think it's the same for most people, but I think as you start to step out of the normal remit of you know of, you know people and for example like an actor, they're on a pedestal, a pedestal, and people look up to them, but they also want to try and. They, they, they want to be seen to know this person or they want yeah. to try and piggy bank on this person's fame or, and, and, yeah. and not all the time but a lot of the time yeah. but I think the like you said the ego I think that ego of that actor is that a lot of people are trying to do that and they're not trying to be genuine and trying to actually help or generally care about this per, you know, about them and I think that's where you can really start to get in your own head and allow your mental health to, to degrade in a sense yeah because it's that to summarise that, it might be that whole keeping up with the Joneses. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's good. That's a good analogy. Yeah, we're all trying to chase each other rather than sort of looking inward mm. to like what we truly want. And yeah. it's hard. I mean, it. You know, I may make it sound like I've got it all worked out, mm. but every day you wrestle with it. Yeah, we're everybody's winging it. Yeah, exactly. Definitely. And there's, you know, there's also that like taking on that 
individual responsibility as well kind of understanding like you've got to work like in order to get those goals you've got to kind of work for it mm -hmm. um, you can't just expect them overnight so there's nothing wrong to want what want a shiny thing mm. but you can't just expect it no I think planning is a, is a you know you look for example the law of attraction so people talk about the law of attraction and I you know I, I'm you know an advocate for this as well you know, which is essentially for anyone who's listening who doesn't uh, know what the law of attraction is, it's essentially putting a vibration out there, you know, in terms of your thoughts. So you're thinking more and more, you're having more thoughts, um, you know, and putting more visual prompts or visual cues. Like, for example, if you want a car, you're putting, you know, pictures of this specific car all over your wall and you're pricing it up and, you know, you're going to test drive it and, you know, all this different stuff, right? But if you are pricing up a Maserati and you're trying to get a Maserati, but you're working in a job which is paying you, you know, however much, you know, 25,000 a year or something along those lines, then realistically you're gonna to have to save a lot of money or you're gonna to have to spend a lot of money on like leasing for example if you if you're not somebody who's got the money available to buy that car i think what you've said about the hard work i think the work has got to be in proportion to the vision you have for the future and also the goals you set for yourself otherwise it's it won't work like that you know you do need to adjust things accordingly i think rather than just wish for it and just expect it to turn up on your doorstep one day. Yeah, I'm a I'm a big believer in the hard work, mm. putting in the hard work, and like taking responsibility, mm. not blaming other things, other factors. Um, I think that's such a life hack. If but you can uh, if you can do that, if you can take on yeah the the sole responsibility for you, without thinking that there's some mm. something else out there getting you down or keeping you from what you want. Um, that can be really freeing. Well, you said that, and I think we've both read the book Extreme Ownership as well, haven't we? Yes. The Jocko Willink. Yeah, I think this would have been mentioned in the last podcast, but uh, yeah, me and Cameron, we both listened to or read this book, uh, Extreme Ownership, and I think that's kind of pretty much what you're talking about there, yeah. isn't it? It's accepting, to, yeah, accepting responsibility for the things that are going on in your own life yeah. and actually understanding that you are and you have the power to actually change those things and to make them better or to... To, to build on them yeah. you know for example if you are if you're in a job or if you're setting up a business you can you know you, it, sometimes you walk, run into a wall and you think there's no exit yeah. but there always is you've just yeah. got to reevaluate and kind of figure it out and the, the first step might be um, to give you some maybe more sort of useful tactics is just break things down as much as you can because there'll always be a first step yeah you know so if you want to start your own business but you know you can't quit your job there's like other ways you could start so maybe you could wake up an hour earlier mm. and just work on something or yeah. you could at least just start connecting with other people that want to start a business um, there's quite a few things you can do that's actually to bring back bring us back to explaining a little bit more about the Alacrity program that I'm in they try to do that for entrepreneurs because they know that it's hard for people to start a business especially a tech business because you rely on the fact that you kind of offset a lot of profitability and income yeah. before you actually get that return um, in your sort of maybe fifth year yeah. in some cases because you're just building up a customer base it's very classic it's like Uber's not even profitable yet you know they, mm. there is a lot that goes into a tech company before it becomes profitable Uber's not profitable yet no I don't think so ooh. don't ooh. Oh, no. <laughs> no, don't fact check it definitely wasn't profitable when it IPO'd okay okay so but yeah. I I think they're moving towards profitability or even yeah. um, so I know for a fact Starling Bank yeah. is not profitable at the moment wow. they're moving towards profitability but look how big and successful they are right yeah. it's because they're reinvesting everything they have so they could be profitable if they mm. wanted to be but 
a big part of it not to go off a tangent but like yeah. a big part of it but the, the point is is because of that initial time investment up front Alacrity pays the graduates to join the program yeah. so everyone gets a stipend mm. it's just a, it's a living cost because they realise that if you can live you know like not you're not on the bread line but you're certainly not like super comfortable mm. um, and it, that just offsets the fact that you can now build your business you don't have to worry about eating or putting a roof over your head mm. um, and I think that's that's freeing like so freeing yeah. to be part of something like that because that is such a hard Thing to get over in the first hurdle to being an entrepreneur. So. I mean, that, that takes us on to the question I've got for you now, actually. I mean, how do you earn a salary once you create a startup? So, obviously, if you, I know you said about the, the Active Foundation, slightly different, but yeah. in terms of regular startups, so if somebody wasn't in the Active Foundation and they would create a startup and they would go out on their own, you know, how would, how would a startup generally? You know, be able to take a wage from it. Somebody think, at the helm of it. I think they boot, they bootstrap it until they can get investment. So, from the experience that I've seen, and this might might not be the case for everyone, but from what I've seen, a lot of people have a side business mm. going while they're trying to do their startup, um, or they might have a job. So yeah. they might have a job and they're doing their startup weekends, evenings, which is kind of a classic story. Um, they might be doing their startup alongside a consultancy, so they might be a they might be a tech consultant, and then on the side they're starting up a tech product. So that kind of that's kind of a cool way of doing it. Yeah. Um, or they might have loads of savings. But the idea is, once you get that angel or VC investment, uh, and you pull down that money, then you kind of take probably like what, what I would do is I would take the minimal amount of money that I could live on and plow the rest into the business. And I think, you know what, that's such an important message because so many people see, the going back to the social media thing, so many people see the, the, the glitz and the glamour and everything of yeah. these people who are running businesses or successful businesses, but these people are never necessarily talking or showing you how they're doing when they're in the gutter, when they're actually, you know, putting the daily grind in, they're working 16 hours a, a day. Do you want to share a gutter story? A gutter story. A gutter story. Oh, let's go. Yeah. Um, how much of this can I say? So we, we, during, I'm just trying to think like how I can admit names and things. <laughs> um, we can say John. Okay, so I won't tell a gutter story from Alacrity just in case I say any names, but um, during my PhD, I overcome a lot of hardship. Mm. I remember in my first year of my PhD, and I have a full, just kind of plug a YouTube video, I have a full YouTube video explaining this, <laughs> but I'll, I'll explain it on here very briefly. Mm. Um, I almost, I would say almost got sort of kicked off or kind of was like, it was very risky mm. in terms of like carrying on with a PhD right. uh, during my first year or coming to the end of my first year um, because I kept flip-flopping on ideas, right. uh, which is quite common. Like I even we even do that in the startup world as well. PhD is very similar to the startup world, um, and you kind of can't like, you know, kind of hone in on something to do and finish and complete. It's like yeah. being afraid of like the doing bit because you always think there's going to be a better idea on the horizon. And I got stuck on this for ages um, until it got to the point where it was like, you know, my supervisor like sat me down and said, look, you need to do something now because otherwise you're not going to have any work to show for your PhD. Uh, and this was quite like a kind of dark time in terms of I felt really burnt out mm. at the same time as well. I was like, I mean, so I skipped the masters, I got straight off undergrad, thrown into this PhD world. Mm. Uh, and at that, that point, it was like, God, I just need to get it done. 
and I just kind of powered through a project that I wasn't really that inspired by, but yeah. it was that classic, you just do the work. Mm. Um, and by the end of it then, it actually really paid off and we published it as a what we call a work in progress paper. So that's not a full academic paper, but kind of like halfway there, but it, en enough to show that it was valuable work. Yeah. So it kind of, you go on from the point of like complete utter burnout, I don't want to do this, like the prototype I was building kept breaking, like physically breaking, so I was building an actual physical prototype <laughs> with circuits and wires and all that kind of stuff. Um, and it was a very hard time. Um, but at the end, it was kind of that, that success made you stronger because yeah. you realize next time you go into that pit of hardship, if you just push through, you can always see that success at the end. It's like that uh, that photo of the, or it's like a, 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 like an image of a little two miners, isn't it? One is like digging for diamonds, you yeah. know, and he's, uh, you know, he gets so far and then he quits and then somebody comes down, you know, right next to him and, and goes that little bit further and then they get, they, they manage to find the diamonds exactly. and they hit the, the jackpot. I think it's, you know, keeping going, keeping going. Even, you know, even sometimes when you feel a little bit lost, you know, you have got to, almost step back and realise why you're doing it. Yeah. So for example with you with the PhD, you know, you knew why you were doing it, but I have no doubt that at certain times yeah. you were doubting the the reason or you were doubting the pain you were putting yourself yeah. through and the you know mental strain And the more reps you can do of it, the better. So yeah. like that was like that was the, the darkest time in my PhD. But I had probably five more of those yeah <laughs> you know <laughs> I, I like what you said there about the, uh, I like what you said there about the reps so it's almost like you know you're you know like you go to the gym the more reps you do the more you work the muscle the more the muscle is essentially yeah. growing you know in, in essence and I think that's the same with hardship the more hardship you go through as long as you you know you take it as a lesson and you recover from it the same as you would recover from a training session it's you, the more you're going to grow, the more you're going to benefit. Yeah. You know, the more you, you know, the more you push yourself and push yourself, and don't allow yourself to recover. Essentially, if you think about it from a mental standpoint, people don't like to, you know, they, they, sometimes they don't like to face up to things, you know, because it's quite hard. Especially, you know, like finances, for example, people facing up to financial difficulty is a is a big thing because it can yeah. often be you know seen as uh, shameful you know they, they feel ashamed you know that of being in those situations um, me personally I've, I've been in that situation where I've felt ashamed of you know uh, having debt hanging above my head and it almost lets you it recluses you from some people in some respects you know yeah. from family members like you don't want to talk to them about it and things you know but it took for quite a while for me to kind of get over that hurdle and to like you said to to build on it and think you know what actually you know these this is a lesson this is a, this is a growing procedure and you've just got to roll with it and let it happen take the lessons from it and build yourself up as a person so you don't you know so you're, you're better in the future and in the, the business world it's the same I mean mm. we've had many of days where we we've been working on something before we're on the idea now uh, we'll come in and we'll just see that LinkedIn have launched shares a feature. You know, mm. that, that's like the story. We like one day we'd been working on something really, really hard. Yeah. Um, and then we came in and LinkedIn had basically bolted it on to their thing. They still <laughs> they still haven't launched it yet though, yeah. which is really annoying. But it was it just gave us but we learned from it because it actually got us to reassess what we were doing at the time. Yeah. And we realised that what we were doing, even if LinkedIn weren't doing that that feature it wouldn't have worked right and it, and it gave us that gut check you know because right. we we got sort of caught up in the oh it'll work it'll work because of certain 
partners we had that don't exist anymore um, without naming names. Um, but now, but then that made us completely reassess things over Christmas. And then when we came back, we pivoted the company in a completely different idea, and we found something much better than what we even thought was supposed to be the best thing before Christmas. So, and there's so and we many wouldn't have companies. got that from the perseverance that we put into it, you know? Yeah. There's so many companies as well which pivot, and I think yeah. it's important to realise that. Yeah. I think this was, again, this was probably mentioned in the last podcast, it is something which is very, very important to actually realise, you know, a pivot is not a fail, it yeah. is just a move, a step in another direction. Slack used to be a video games company. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Yeah, and now it's a productivity tool, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. Instagram so, used to be like Yelp. Yeah. <laughs> total, total. Podcast. Um, well, I tell you what, we're going to wrap this up a bit now, anyway. So, if I, I just want to ask you one more question, Cameron. Shoot. Um, Shoot. Can you think of an idea, or have you got an idea already in your mind that you would like to see happen in the world that? either exists at the moment but it isn't kind of being utilised as much as it should, should be or something that you know, doesn't exist that you've got in your mind you just wish to share with people but, so but I've, got two. Well. I've got why two well. yeah. I've got one that's like my big thing um, and this is maybe my long term legacy plan mm. and that's to sort of revolutionise the education somehow mm, okay. um, in the sense of I just think the way that we kind of teach and kind of and teach people how to be citizens financially, how the world works is skewed. So that's not a like that's quite a common opinion amongst people in entrepreneur space. It's not really unique. But my big goal at the moment is the finance side of it and really allowing people to have access to um, sort of human financial advice mm. in a fast way and that's what we're trying to do at Syngro so we're trying awesome. to make it so businesses can get the human advice that they need yeah. they can share the data with the people that are actually going to help them whether that's a broker an accountant a financial advisor yeah. and remove the kind of taboo and the hardness around getting advice around your finance uh, and being able to truly share and get that advice so awesome. that sounds really good and, and, and why what's the what's the reason why you I think want to do that? finances are, are something that are notoriously scary and as somebody who last year was writing up a thesis about artists and computers <laughs> and now plunging myself into the world of finance realizing that a lot of it is kind of kind of hidden behind complicated terms walls banks are kind of like trying to like lock everything up in a way uh, and there's a huge revolution happening at the moment in financial technology mm. and i think for the first time small businesses and individuals will be able to take control of their finances and hopefully Syngro can be part of that wave um, and I can be a leader in that. I love it. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you very much for uh, for the chat today. It's been thank awesome. Thank you very much, Ryan. Hopefully we can do round two at some point. Let's do it. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. Guys, right, so we've got Singro. Uh, the, if you want to talk the uh, run for the socials. For oh, Singro. yeah, so you can find me. I tend to talk every morning on Instagram at, at CDSteer. Yeah. I often tweet at also at CDSteer. And if you want to check out the company, there's four of us at the moment getting it set up. Uh, and that's at Singro. UK on awesome. Twitter and Instagram. There we are. Cool. Right, guys, this is going to be up on YouTube as well as the other podcasting platforms uh, on Sunday night. Um, so if you're listening to this, then it's probably Sunday or after Sunday. Yep. Um, thank you all for listening. Yep, and go have an amazing week. Yeah.